So these are all one-liners from comedian Stephen Wright. He says, right now I'm having amnesia and deja vu at the same time. What's another word for thesaurus? When I get real bored, I like to drive downtown and get a great parking spot and then sit in my car and count how many people ask me if I'm leaving. When I cross the border into Canada and they ask me if I have any firearms with me, I like to lean in and say, what do you need? Okay, let's, uh, well, one more. You can't have everything. Where would you put it? Okay, so Ronnie Chang is a Chinese-American comedian who talks about some of the differences, the cultural differences in moving from China to the United States and being really surprised at the differences. I always like to hear an outsider's perspective on on what we're like, right? Fish don't know they're wet, and Americans don't know what it is to be American, right? But the outsiders come in, and they, and they go, whoa. And so he says, uh, in a recent comedy special, well, two, three years ago, he said that the Chinese word for America is the beautiful land. That's literally the word. And their, their word for their own land is the middle land. He's like, you, He's like, do you understand who you are. He's like, y'all are the NBA of the world. The best of the best want to go there. If you're good in science, if you're good in math, if you're good in engineering, if you're a great doctor, you want to go to America. He said, it's the land of abundance. And when I came here into this incredible land of abundance, nobody's happy. We, he's like, this is the land of abundance. He's like, you throw extra napkins in every food order. You get a glass of water, here's five more napkins. It's the land of abundance, and everyone's angry. This stinks, that stinks, they stink, that stinks, this organization stinks, the service here stinks, the government stinks, everything stinks, the rich, the poor, the middle class, everyone stinks. And he said, screens, too. What is, he's like, what is the obsession with screens? We got, he's like, we got a large screen TV, and an iPad, and a phone, and an Apple Watch. <laughs> it's like our goal apparently is how many screens can we fit in between us and the wall, our face and the wall? How many? Because we have to get all the information now, and we can't miss anything so that we can complain about it. And then he talked about Prime Now, Amazon Prime. We get, it's, who wants to wait for three-day shipping? Three days? No, no, no. Next-day shipping, Prime. We want it now. No item too trivial. No quantity too small. I want one pen wrapped in a box with bubble plastic wrap inside of another box, inside of a bigger box. The airspace over the country is just Amazon Prime planes bumping into each other and boxes jostling because we have to have it now. And he said, now? Instead of regular prime, they have prime now. Because in this land of abundance, we're, we're never happy. We have to have it now. I want to click the button and have you gently place it into my hand. Break into my house and put it in my hand now. Next day, 
Next day, shipping, I have to wait a day? Now. All right, fine, that's enough of him. Hilarious, hilarious. Really reminds me of a few years back when another comedian talked about Wi-Fi being put on airplanes and a kid who just three minutes earlier heard that Wi-Fi was now available, tried to log on, and for some reason it dropped. And he says, oh man, this is bullcrap. And the comedian said, you just found out this existed three minutes ago and you're already entitled to it. What? You are on a, you are in a metal sealed, vacuum sealed tube flying 600 miles per hour through the air miraculously like a bird how humans have wanted to do for all of human history drinking hot coffee. And you're angry that your Wi-Fi dropped. He said, uh, everything's amazing and nobody's happy. I would submit that even in a pandemic, life is better here and better now than it has been anywhere at any time ever. So this is a Thanksgiving sermon. If you didn't notice already, it's uh, an American holiday, traditionally understood as a celebration of when the Plymouth Pilgrims survived that first harsh winter with the help of the Massasoit. Uh, no, no, Massasoit was the name of the chief. My bad. The, if anyone's Native American listening to this podcast, I apologize in advance for my mispronunciations. The Pope. Ganoket tribe. The Massasoit was the chieftain of the tribe who had been devastated by the smallpox epidemic of 1616 through 1619 because we showed up and we're like, hey, everybody, welcome to smallpox. Yeah. And yet his tribe helped these pilgrims, taught them. They made a treaty with Chief Massasoit. Samoset and Squanto are... At least this is what I learned when I was in school. When I was in school, we were taught about Samoset and Squanto, who showed the pilgrims how to cultivate the land, plant corn, beans, squash, pumpkins, where to hunt, how to fish here. And I specifically remember him putting fish, you know, the, old, the leftovers from the fish down into the, digging the hole to fertilize the corn and everything. They survived. And I know that, you know, Thanksgiving is nowadays considered culturally insensitive. I get it. Uh, yes, the European settlers did dishonestly swindle many First Nations peoples from their land. I know it was wrong. And yes, we often use Christianity to justify what we did, and that was wrong. Uh, and, and yes, we probably rewrote some of the stories to make them even worse and make us even better and more innocent, because that's what winners do. I get it. I know. However, the point of the holiday is, wow, we survived. We're super grateful because when you go through something really hard, what does it do? It makes you appreciate that you made it through and it makes you appreciate times of abundance. And actually, a Thanksgiving holiday is pretty universal to most nations and predates this whole pilgrim situation. Back in Europe, they also celebrated Thanksgiving festivals, usually around harvest time, as an annual way of thanking God because he 
made us successful in our efforts to not die, which is the fight we're always in annually. We forget that's the fight we're in as humans because we're doing so great now that we forget that just surviving is a big deal. It's more, though, than just a holiday. The idea of giving thanks or being grateful is much more than just a holiday. It's actually deeply central to the, the, the posture of heart. Stanley was talking about our hearts being postured correctly before the Lord, and a posture of thankfulness is not just some sort of, hey, yeah, that's cool, we should add that to our list of virtues, that's nice. No, but according to Romans 1, it's deeply, deeply central to this basic, basic decision humans have about existence. Check this out. What can be known about God is plain to them because God's shown it to them. For ever since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature, even though they're invisible, are clearly seen and understood through what has been made. So people are without excuse, verse 21 of Romans 1, for although they knew God, they did not, two things, honor him as God or give thanks to him. But, but, they became futile in their thinking, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal human beings, birds, four-footed animals, reptiles. Therefore, God, verse 20, 24, gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the degrading of their bodies with themselves, etc., etc. Basically, become, they become worse and worse. And then it says, because, verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for the lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. For this reason, God gave them up to, de to degrading passions. It goes on. It's a progression. But look at the beginning at the, at the first step is God comes and makes himself knowable to every person. You, you with me? And on the one path is life. And in the path of life, it's know God, glorify God as God, and give thanks to him. And on the path of death, of becoming more and more, and that you become more and more like God because you become like what you worship, what you treasure. Grows big in your, in your heart, goes big in your understanding, bigger and bigger. And it's this process of, well, the New Testament calls it deification. Peter says we become participants in the divine nature through the word of God, which is God's seed. A seed bears the nature of the thing that it comes from and reproduces that nature in the, in the soil. And the seed of the word in, our, in the soil of our hearts reproduces the nature of God in us. Or, if we reject that, we become satanic, demonic, dead. Worship dead things and we die. We become morally, spiritually, less and less alive. And right at the crossroads of these choices is gratitude. Why? Why? 
It definitely is, is a humility thing. Because life, fundamentally, is a gift. Fundamentally, at the core of faith, at the center of faith, is the conviction, bedrock conviction, that it's a gift. And you go, yeah, I can see that, kind of. One of my favorite sermons is a preacher, old black preacher, who just yelled at the kids, Children! Children, you're going to die. And you go, well, this is a weird service. Children, you're going to die. We're going to stand around your grave giving testimonies. And then we're going back in the church, eat potato salad and laugh like it never happened. With paprika. (laughs) Going to have paprika on that potato salad. but you're going to die. Why would you tell that to children? Why would you tell children they're going to die and and then focus on the fact that we're going to be standing around their grave telling testimonies? One thing that's awkward is a funeral where everyone has only nice things to say because they have to bite their tongue and not say the things they're really thinking. We've all been there. And one thing that's amazing is a funeral for a person who you have way more testimonies than you have time, and they're all authentic. And it all has to do with how this person impacted your life. And so why is this preacher saying, children, you're going to die. We're going to stand around your grave giving testimonies, and then we're going to laugh it off, wipe our tears, go back into the church, and we're going to eat potato salad and move on with life and go back to work on Monday. There's one thing that matters is what he's trying to tell these kids. Life is short. Life's a gift. You're, it's, it, you, know, you can't hold on to it. Life is a temporary stewardship, not a permanent ownership. One of the things that I wrestle with is I absolutely love this season of my life. My marriage is fantastic. I love every one of my kids. I get sad thinking about the idea of Gabe going off to college and not living at home. Just yesterday, I was thinking about Israel getting a job and hoping that he would still live at my house into his 20s. I know that's weird. You guys are like, what? I want my freedom. I, 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 I just wish I could hit pause and live life exactly where I am for a thousand more years. I don't want anything to change. I just want to keep what I got right now forever because I love my life. But I can't. And furthermore, they're not my kids. She's not my wife. It's not my life. Everything is a temporary stewardship. Time just keeps on trucking, whether you want it to or not. I didn't ask to be here. Here I am. Right? God didn't say, would you like to exist? And I, yeah, sure, I'll volunteer for existence. Nope, here I am, kicking and screaming. Half, I mean, honestly, don't we just kind of kick and scream our way through life a lot of the time? I didn't sign up for this. It's kind of like a roller coaster where the more you fight it, the less fun it is. 
You ever seen anybody who's just like locked, locked onto it tight? They're just locked onto it with white knuckle grip onto that safety bar. They are not having fun. And you're like, bro, you paid money to get on this thing. You remember that? And they're like, my dad put me on here. Just, and then you get those people, they put their hands up and they trust, they trust the engineer. They're like, oh yeah, it's probably not going to kill us. Yeah, but what about the Zerbin legends of those people on Space Mountain who got, got their heads taken off? I'm like, I ain't never seen that in a reputable newspaper, but anyway. Nowadays, we don't even use newspapers, but back when I was a kid hearing that stuff. But life, life is gift, not, not owned. And so our, our posture towards a gift has to be open-handed. To receive the gift, but not hold on to the gift. Everything's temporary. Everyone's temporary. Every, every experience, every season of life is temporary. We're passing through. It's a journey. That's really hard for me. I cried when Gabe got teeth. I'm not kidding. You know, little sweet baby Gabe. Gabe used to do the pacifier lips while he was sleeping. And the little lip quiver. He used to do, now look at him. Now he makes sure he's showered before he goes to youth group because girls are a thing. Oh, I'm now, I'm sorry, Gabe, put you on the spot. My bad, Gabe. I love you, buddy. I'll stop talking about you for the whole rest of the sermon now. But it's hard for me. I wanted to freeze time and stay there and hold tight onto it. And when you lose something that you're white knuckle gripped onto, something goes wrong in our hearts. You hear me? I heard a story, Tim Keller told a story about a husband, and he was a good husband and a bad husband. They both had wayward kids. The wife of the good husband was eaten up with bitterness because she blamed the husband for the wayward kid. The wife with the bad husband was not bitter at her husband, though he might have been largely to blame for the wayward kid. We just kind of don't know sometimes. And, and Tim Keller was... Why? Why is the wife with the good husband bitter at her husband, but with the, with the wife with the bad husband not? And the best he could come up with is this. It had to do with the way the mom's heart was holding her son. Her son was an idol. You mess with people's idols, they'll take you out. You know you've touched someone's idol when you get those reactions out of them. They can't let it go. They can't forgive. They can't move on. They can't have peace. They can't surrender. They can't move forward. They're chained to it. They're stuck to it. They're not treating it like a stewardship, like a gift. Doesn't make it easy. None of this that I'm talking about is easy. Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. Right? Oh, it's basic. Yes, it's also advanced. One of my favorite movies of all time is the Western Tombstone, as, as many of you know. Back when Val Kilmer was still an actor. <laughs> What's he doing? Anyway. But Doc Holliday is Val Kilmer's character in this particular scene that you're seeing a picture of, he's laying on his deathbed in this scene. He had tuberculosis, and back then they did not have a cure for tuberculosis. You got it, mess with your lungs, 
And uh, they called it a lunger. Oh, he's a lunger. It's a very sensitive way of communicating, you know, back then. In this scene, he is charging Wyatt not to waste his life. And he's pleading with him to live for me. He's pleading with Wyatt not to get all hung up in the conflicts that he's been involved in, not to get all hung up in the current situation that has all of his time and energy, but to see past that and not miss the point of his life. And he tells him, Wyatt, you live for me. You grab that spirited actress that everybody knows you're in love with and you marry that girl and you get on out of here and you live. You live right up to the hilt. You live for me, Wyatt. Do you hear me? Live for me. And, of course, what do you say to your friend, your best friend, when they say that to you? You say, yes, sir, and then you go try. Of course, that's kind of how the film ends. Sorry for the spoilers. It's an old film. You should have seen it by now. <laughs> There's a, another character in this, in, this, uh, in this movie, the Johnny Ringo. And Johnny Ringo is a weird character because he quotes a lot of scripture in Latin. He's absolutely furious. He's cruel. He does violent things for no discernible reason. He's just bad. And there's a scene when uh, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday are talking, and Wyatt says, what makes a man like Ringo do what he does, Doc? And Doc says, you know, he said, what does he want? What does Ringo want? And Doc, and Doc says to Wyatt, you know, Doc's laying in a sickbed. He says, what does he want, Doc? And he says, revenge. Revenge for what? Being born. That's deep. Some people almost seem to have a chip on their shoulder at a deep, deep level, right back at Romans 1 kind of a level. The very basis is life a gift. Is it a good gift? Am I grateful for the gift? Am I treasuring the gift? Am I, am I holding it with a sense of awe and gratitude to the one who gave it? Or am I just furious that my will's not being done? And guess what? Your will's never going to be the center of everything, is it? It's like, do you have an anger problem? Like 20, 15, 15 years ago when the Lord said to me, I said, what's wrong with me? So I was really in, struggling with the sin of anger. And I thought I had an anger problem. And the Lord said, showed me a picture of me on heaven's throne, angrily throwing lightning bolts, saying, may my will be done. That didn't feel good. You ever, ever have one of those prayer times where you come out like, Oh, I thought I had an anger problem. Apparently, I have an idolatry problem. I'm sitting in his chair. I'll just be leaving that throne over there for you, Father. And I'll be going right down here to this lowest chair for a couple of, a couple of, a couple of years of total silence while well, I figure this thing out. But Johnny Ringo's got that. What does he want? Revenge. For what? Being born. Something went wrong in the gratitude thing. What a fascinating contrast of hearts. 
There's a song that I don't particularly like, but I worked with a dude who was a bricklayer who had a Ford F-150, and I learned to respect the Ford F-150, and I learned the lyrics to a lot of country songs that I didn't really want to know. <laughs> One of them is a Tim McGraw song called Live Like You Were Dying. It's old, it's overplayed back in the day, it's cheesy as heck, however, the lyrics do highlight exactly what this whole sermon is trying to say, so I will inflict those lyrics upon you now. Verse 1, I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me, and a moment came and stopped me on a dime. I spent most of my next days looking at the x-rays and talking about the options and talking about sweet time. I asked him, when it sank in, that this might really be the real end, how does it hit you when you get that kind of news? Man, what did you do? There's two dudes sitting at the bar, right? That's, it's a country song. So that's how it's got to go. And he's going to have a cowboy scene, and he's going to have, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Got to have a dog, a truck, jeans. Pretty cowgirl. Apple pie, maybe. I don't know. Whatever's going to make these people give me money, all right? I, I ain't never done any farm work in my life. I live in Nashville. I'm a yuppie. Anyway. The chorus. He said, what did you do? Sorry, I'm kind of just slapping all over on country music, aren't I? There's some really good country music. Come on, Dolly Parton, Hank Williams, Johnny Cash. Notice how all these people are like old or dead. <laughs> I'm saying, okay, all right, okay, stop it, Tim. Chorus, he said, I, what did you do when you found out this, this diagnosis? He said, I went skydiving. Do I have to sing it? I went skydiving, I went. I'm not going to do it. Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I loved deeper. And I spoke sweeter. And I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. He said, I'd finally was the husband that most of the time I wasn't. And I became a friend that a friend would like to have. And all of a sudden, going fishing wasn't such an imposition, and I went three times that year that I lost my dad. I finally read the good book and took a good, long, hard look at what I'd do if I could do it all again. Y'all, that's good songwriting. Tim McGraw pretty much deserves that career being successful. I'm good stuff. I have a friend named Mim Yoder and. She's a nurse with terminal patients, and years ago I had a good long talk with her asking her what she has learned working with terminal patients. She talked about the process most patients go through once they get that diagnosis that their time is short. I'm intrigued. I'm interested. It's really relevant data to me. She said some of them go very dark, go very dark. They shut down. They get angry. You know, they get Johnny Ringo about the deal. And they stay there. And they never get out of the hole. The grumpiness, the depression, the loss of all hope. They don't move beyond the diagnosis, which then becomes their sort of their truth. It's over. Can't change it. Can't help it. I'm powerless. I'm done. Might as well quit now. And she said that's very, very hard to watch. Other people, and she... she said, actually, a surprising amount of people 
are able to move through that to a place of acceptance. And once they do, they then feel like they are in bonus time. What a curious expression. They feel like they're in the extra time. This is, this is all grace from here on out. They get a new lease on life. The parameters change. I thought, well, that's so fascinating. Because it's not, it's not me saying, boys and girls, we should live this way. It's her observing just what happens. That's so intriguing to me. Perspective change. And suddenly, they almost make this inner vow to not waste one moment. Yeah, so cool. And of course, what was my thought as soon as I heard that? We are dying. We are all have a terminal diagnosis. We're all living on borrowed time. All of us have each breath as bonus. This whole thing is not deserved or earned or our property. The whole thing from start to finish is, is a... Right, in Christmas time, when you give the employees a Christmas bonus, the first year they're like, what? Then the fifth year when you stop because you can't afford it, they're like, hmm. Right? Because as soon as we get used to the gift being consistent, we stop treating it like it's a gift. We take it for granted, which means we don't take it for granted. <laughs> we don't take it as a grant, a gift. We, we take it like it's a wage, and we're owed it, again, like the kid with the Wi-Fi in the plane. But this mindset that Mim talked about, shouldn't that be our mindset? Like, yeah, yeah. Just agree with me. makes me feel better about myself when you do that. Jesus in Matthew 6 says, Why do you worry about tomorrow? He's so encouraging. Each day will have enough troubles of its own. He's not saying what we're saying. It'll be okay. <laughs> what do you mean it'll be okay? I mean, you might die. They might cut your head off like they did my cousin John bring it out on a platter, and then make fun of it. You know. But it'll be great. Not a hair of your head will be harmed. John had great hair that day. You know what I'm saying? He's so realistic, is what I'm trying to say. Jesus, he, he, what is he saying? Don't worry about tomorrow, because that makes matters worse. Today's hard enough. Whew, no punch is being pulled, and yet wisdom is being dispensed. Can we be that truthful? Carrie and I are having these hard conversations about risking being fully ourselves in public. How terrifying that is. And the cost is so high. But isn't there also a cost in not being yourself in public? Pretty high. I just want to make a quick observation about hope. When you carry your worry about tomorrow's troubles, you're putting a burden on your shoulders that there's not grace to carry. And of course, you're also revealing that what you expect in the future is bad things. And hope, what you believe about the future, is profoundly powerful in affecting your experience of the present. 
If you give someone hope, you give them the ability to endure. If you steal someone's hope, you take away their grace to even be nice with minor setbacks in the present. Am I right? Take it home, think about it, see if I'm right. Put it on your, on your little helmets and... How does it all... You have so much grace in the present moment when you have an expectation of being really, really blessed, protected, loved on. Your story's being written by, by a brilliant genius of a wonderful, powerful God. When you think, oh, the future's going to stink, my best days are behind me, it's all over, why try? And then a kid walks into your room and spills mushroom soup all over the carpet right behind you for no reason, because, hey, Dad, would you go... You go, my wife is like, actually, that's fairly realistic. That's how you are. And she would be like, it's just carpet. Which is more important, your child's heart or this carpet? And I'd be like, both. <laughs> I love Jesus. He's saying, be here now. Be here now. Here now. Be here now. Now is blessed. Now is gift. Now is also struggle. But be here now. Almost done, guys. You're doing good. I'm going to need two volunteers here in just a moment. So if whoever's like, the last thing you ever want to do is volunteer, we should pick on you. I'm kidding. I'm not that guy. There's so many scriptures in the New Testament about this, thankfulness and gratitude, that I decided to pick just sort of like two that I really like. So here's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Ah, ah, ah. Hard to square you having God's peace with you also understanding. Will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Years ago, Carrie was one who showed me that God's peace guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That it's not our job to keep ourselves from worry, but it's our job to keep our heart connected to the Father in such a way that His peace then can actively defend our mind and our heart. I like that. That's one. And here's the second one. Colossians 2, 7. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And what? Interesting choice of words, Paul. Overflowing with thankfulness. So here's where I need volunteers. I need two of you. I guess it could be kids. Now, I don't know if you can see what I'm doing, but I'm pouring these glasses as full as I can. You guys gonna do it? It's a little convex. You did it convex, okay. Yeah, you got it. Looks good. Would you say that's full? Yes, sir. Are you my two volunteers? Well, I, I like are. it. Yes, we are. All right, uh, I'd like you to carry it around the sanctuary oh, and come back here. Geez. Without spilling it at all. Oh, good grief. <gasps> oh, no. Do I got to keep going? Yeah, all the way around. Oh, come on. All right? 
And the first one back here doesn't get a prize, but does win. If I was thinking ahead, I'd have given him five bucks for the winner. I see some spillage there. Somebody encouraged them by giving a good pat on the back. Teresa spills stuff on her shirt every meal. And, yeah, I'm not kidding you. I said, Teresa, you got spill on your shirt. Oh, okay. There you go. Uh, well, you know, okay. There's a lot of spillage. If they drink it, you know what? That's a genius move. See, this is why it takes a village. Did you hear her idea? She's like, just drink it. Then you're technically still carrying it, and you haven't spilled it, and then you can just run. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. You win. Everyone's a winner in my book. Okay. So, and here, what's my point? You know someone is filled with something when you bump into them, and that's what they overflow or spill. When you bump into someone and, just, you know, we're, here, and here's a, how is it, is it, we kind of all like, I'm filled with the Spirit of God. <laughs> when you're bumped into, grumbling and complaining comes out. So really, I doubt it. I'm going to go with not so much. It's incompatible to say you're filled with the Spirit of God. And uh, we kind of all know this, right? You squeeze a ketchup bottle, and if mustard comes out, something went wrong. I did put ketchup all over my shirt this morning when I was eating my... I had two hot dogs for breakfast. Don't judge me. And uh, with relish and ketchup and mustard. And I basically thought to myself, I'm taking a shower and changing my shirt before I can be as sloppy as I want. Ketchup was running down. So living by the Spirit, living, really living by the Spirit, is living in such a way that, that when life bumps us, Good things fall, <laughs> spill out of us. So let's do a gratitude practice as our little final move here. I would like you to each, even the rebellious ones that want to do the opposite of whatever I say, I would like you to each close your eyes and we're just going to take like a minute. We're going to practice gratitude. Think of someone that you are grateful for. And as you think of this person you're grateful for, just let that feeling you have about them, let that feeling wash over you. Keep them in mind. Now, in your spirit, just reach out and direct these positive feelings of gratitude. Direct these feelings to them as well. Direct these positive feelings of gratitude to God. 
and see, see these positive feelings of gratitude to God also bouncing back down and filling them with joy. Now just stay there with them in your mind, with them in your heart, and allow that feeling of thankfulness to fill your heart. Let it fill your body. Let that feeling of gratitude fill your head. Go down through your neck and shoulders. So let that feeling of gratitude all the way relax and fill your whole body with a sense of peace. I'll just take a deep breath and exhale. Now, you feel a little better? Interesting, right? That was a minute. We took a minute to just put our heart in a position, a posture of gratitude. Pandemic or not, God is good. Political situation or not, Jesus is Lord. You, my friends, are as blessed as the gospel says you are. We have every, we have every reason to be anchored in hope and rooted and grounded in love and run well in this season. That's all I got for you today. Go ahead and stand. Stan, you got this? As soon as I came in the building this morning, I sat down and this, um, my left shoulder, I felt this heat just run, run down it. So if there's anybody in here that is having issues with their left shoulder, I also would, you know, like to pray for that. Um, so, but I'm going to pray a general prayer for peace, for peace. And then if anybody needs prayer for peace, you can come up here and I'll pray for you. So, so I just pray right now, Father, I pray for, for peace over every person in this, in this building right now. I pray that you would just, that you would just bring your peace right now and um, let it rest upon your people, God. I pray that, pray that your Holy Spirit would just bring the peace that, that passes all understanding, God. And I pray that you would just blanket every person um, with peace, God, right now. And, and we just thank you for that. We thank you for who you are and what, you, what you're going to do um, um, through us and with us this week, Father. And I pray that you would just bless every person that leaves this building. And uh, in Jesus' name, amen.